Hello and welcome back to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. Uh, we're bringing back our review show. It's been a little minute, of course. We've filled the airwaves with a, a couple of uh, podcasts in the last little while. Little previews pod for upcoming releases. Nice creator interview with Melissa Flores, creator of The Dead Lucky. Definitely go back and check that out. But we're still playing catch up on reviews, although we will be doing them in a more monthly format at this point. So it doesn't seem quite as overwhelming as it did maybe a little while back. But again, determined to get fully caught up. So we're going to be looking today at the reviews for titles in the end of may and also the beginning of june so of course spoilers will be everywhere so your host as always alan the owner of coffee and heroes in belfast and i'm delighted to say i'm not flying solo this evening he's back mr miller how are you i am i am good that was quite quite the welcome yeah it's a wee bit weird seeing you know listening to podcasts going out uh, and i'm not on them uh, you're you're on your lonesome um but I guess uh, I have to thank for that the wonder of uh, the wonder of work and festival season, uh, which is which is always a trick, um, you know. So it's it's uh, I uh, I spent a week in Newcastle uh, over there for the Generator Live conference in the northeast of England, um, which was great. Uh, never been to Newcastle before. Lovely city. Um, some pretty cool comic shops and uh, and nerd culture over there. Whenever I got a chance to take a break from the music culture. Uh, and then the week after that was the amazing Standoff Festival up in Limavady here in Northern Ireland, which just was fantastic this year. Uh, great to be great to be a part of, working mostly behind the scenes, but managed to see some great gigs. Um, Pete and Diesel, a uh, thrash folk three-piece from the, the, the northwestern isles of Scotland. Um, Sister Sledge, the, the legends of... Uh, we are family uh, played on our uh, on our one of our main stages. Um, the fantastic Woodburn and Savages from Derry, uh, pure Northern Irish punk. If you haven't haven't heard them, absolutely check them out. They're working on their second album at the minute, and just about the best band in the country as far as I'm concerned. And the reunification of Here Comes the Land of Gentry. So saw some really really good music, um, and needed about a week to recover from all that. It was supposed to be in London this week, but uh, thankfully due to uh, <laughs> well. Uh, too many people had work been off from COVID. That was uh, that was cancelled. So, so I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, that sounded like you were going to say, you know, I was supposed to be in London this week, but I just couldn't face it. But no, you were ready, professional as always, good to go. But it was cancelled at the other end, so you can enjoy a, a week in Belfast in its uh, in its place. I mean. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it's been a minute since we've sort of caught up. I mean, in that time, I went to Belt Sonic, saw a Liam Gallagher gig, which was really, really fun. Uh, obviously, I'm a you know an, an Oasis mark, so of course I'm going to enjoy that. It was definitely a different sort of uh, experience, though, simply because when you're there with your other half who's pregnant, you find yourself not really watching the stage, but looking close to you for all the drunken idiots who are going to bounce into you. Mm. So I must have moved her from my left to my right to behind me to in front of me the whole way through the gig like crazy. But uh, yeah. no, that was really, really fun. And then got to meet the greatest wrestler of all time. I knew you'll be excited about this, Keith. Cause he's the a, Ultimate Warrior. Because he's a musician as well. Well, the Ultimate Warrior, that's a different <laughs> one. But, you know, he's a musician as well with his band Fozzy. But yeah, we got to meet Chris Jericho and have a Q&A in the limelight in Belfast. Get some stuff signed. Oh, cool. Really, really nice. cool experience. Out. It's always great when you meet your heroes. They always say never meet your heroes. I say that's crap. Go meet your heroes. And hopefully they're yeah. as nice as Chris Jericho was. So... So yeah, there was all of that, but what I find is, and I said this, I think, to you in store a few weeks ago, I've said it to a few people, I thought June was going to be one of the most productive months of my life in terms of getting caught up on TV shows and comics because there was no football on, 
and also this is the start of the the countdown period to when our main vicky two becomes three so i was sort of like right we have to get caught up in all this stuff so we've watched uh we finished moon knight we finished obi-wan we finished ozark we finished the boys season three and we're two episodes away from finishing miss marvel so we have been in proper catch-up mode to say the least i mean i think you're pretty much caught up on most of those as well most of yeah them. yeah that uh go through that list again so uh, moon finished moon knight yes finished that really really enjoyed it uh totally different take than we've seen in any other marvel uh shows um and I think the the depiction of uh, of mental health uh, was was a real bold a real bold move. Um, they certainly pivoted a wee bit from some of the stuff we've seen in the comics, uh, but I I really enjoyed it and particularly that that finale and some of the teasers of what might be to come uh, if if Oscar decides to pick up the mantle again. Uh, although as we know that's not contracted for. Um, Obi Wan really really enjoyed. Uh, I'm not as uh, maybe uh, critical a Star Wars fan as, as many. I just enjoy the fact that there's new content. Uh, enjoy the fact that it's just good fun. And they absolutely did the whole Wild West Samurai thing down to a T. Uh, and great to see you McGregor back in that role, uh, for sure. Uh, so I really enjoyed that, really enjoyed the story. I love that Darth Vader isn't um, you know, hands off these days. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, you can they can go ahead and and, and use a character and, and the creative team behind those are uh, are great. Uh, finished Ozark as well. Uh, really enjoyed that series up there. With some of the biggies up there with the with the Sopranos, the Wires, the Breaking Bad's, uh, the Deadwoods of the uh, of the, the the golden age of of television. I think um, Jason Bateman's just phenomenal. Um, don't think I've hated a character much more than I hated. Uh, uh, Laura Linney in that. Um, she's just, she was just a, a irredeemable individual, uh, which obviously was played fantastically. Uh, such, such a good show. Um, I think they tried to I, get you to um, feel a little sorry for her in the end, though, with, you know, we'll go into spoilers here. So, of course, if you haven't seen all of those, are just flick forward. But, you know, with having sort of a mental break and losing her family and a breaking her slightly, I mean, you could look at it all, of course, you can as manipulation because she was an absolute master manipulator. But the, surely, even in your cold, cold heart, there was a moment where you sort of thought she just wants her kids back. Yeah, I mean, that's what the, that's the whole well, I, that's the whole basis of Wanda <laughs> in the MCU. Let's be honest; she just wants her kids back. Yeah, though. Uh, thank goodness, uh, like her character and Wizard did not have reality manipulating powers because that would have been a disaster. Um, uh, no, I don't know. I think the whole the whole uh, getting getting section thing was was all part of the manipulation. She was she was there because she she needed to manipulate her father. She needed to manipulate the situation. I uh, she was a a horrible character, brilliantly played, but horrible <laughs> character. <laughs> I always felt it just felt like a, a hail mary. It was like this was the desperate last attempt, you know, sort of thing. Plus, you know, we've talked about it before. The casting of John Boy Walton as her dad, who's like the epitome of Americana, but yeah, turns yeah. out to be an absolute, you know, a, a scumbag, basically. You know, yeah, he was an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. He essentially abused, at least mentally abused his kids and, you know, always told them they weren't good enough and all this kind of stuff and some harsh religion thrown in there as well. It was, uh, that was some great casting. Well, yeah, absolutely. There's something there about, uh, about the sins of the father and, and about, about uh, generational hurt being passed from, from father to son and daughter and from daughter to 
daughter and son mm-hmm. uh, there, you know. So, but yeah, I thought that was a, that was a perfect piece of manipulative casting, uh, for sure. But very, very good stuff. Very such a such a good show. Um, and oh, the boys, uh, we have one episode left of season three. It's just great stuff. Um, really enjoying that. Uh, the the soldier boy storyline is uh, mm-hmm. is something else. And uh, and Miss Marvel, which I just have loved. Uh, just have have absolutely loved that that show. The the tone of it and the theme of it uh, is just as great as. As Stephen said in the chat the other day, it's it's just brilliant to see you know sort of American Islamic culture represented you know on on a, on a major TV show like that. Um, they dip into the the partition of India and Pakistan uh, quite a bit historically, and Iman Vellani, who plays Kamala Khan, is an absolute joy to watch. Uh, she's just she's just phenomenal, obviously. Uh, there was a wee bit of controversy around the slight change in the powers, but I think that very quickly faded away, and we know there's good reason for it. So, so yeah, I'm really, really enjoying that sh- that show. Really enjoying it. What about you? Are you enjoying it? Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I, I threw it out on Twitter through the the store page about. I think it's one of the best things Marvel put out in a long time. I mean, I'm quite protective of that run as well, that G Willow Wilson run, which is absolutely outstanding. It, it's it was back at the time, I've, I've spoken about it before, but it was back at the time where I was reading all the cool fringe Marvel, Marvel titles. So I was reading Miss Marvel and I was reading Dan Slott's Silver Surfer and I was reading Mark Wade's Daredevil. You know, I wasn't reading Spider-Man and Avengers and all this stuff, but I like to think I caught some of the, the, the great runs and that G. Willow Wilson run is, is fantastic. Mm. I, I caught myself trying to look up if there's been an omnibus collection of it yet, but there has not, which is a little bit upsetting. <laughs> I'd say there will be. I would say so, but no, it's interesting <laughs> you mentioned the whole partition history because, you know, it's 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 a definitely a, um, a, a compliment for the show that I, I felt myself wanting to look into that, you know, from a real-world standpoint. I, I wanted to look into that history. I wanted to look into, you know, it really intrigued me because I know so little about it, but they present it in a really interesting way. And, you know, I love the generational families that are represented in this. I, I mean, she's a little heartbreaker though, as well. I mean, see when we reached episode uh, four and it's the one that's over uh, in Pakistan. And yes. She, uh, she starts then getting mixed up with uh, the, the guys who are trying to help her, including the guy in the red mask and stuff. Vicky just turned uh-huh. to me and was like, gee, she's going to have three boys after her now. Cause she already <laughs> has two at home, you know. It's uh, she's, she's a little heartbreaker. But yeah, uh, it's I'll really cool. I am absolutely flabbergasted to be uh, to be living in a world where we're actually seeing clandestine uh, who are a a little known Marvel uh, team created by Alan Davis back mm. in God about nineteen ninety four. Actually seeing them on screen is nuts. <laughs> you know, or any representation of them. You know, they were I say they were a British uh, I think they were a Marvel UK creation. Mm-hmm. Um but uh but yeah the fact that uh that they, they used clandestine in the Miss Marvel series in twenty twenty two is just is just really cool. Yeah, I think the the Marvel TV stuff for me it's it's just nice that the last couple have been taking a few swings for the fences. You know what I mean? It's you know Moon Knight was very different as you say, uh, and what it went into, what it explored, and the mythology and so forth. And then certainly with Miss Marvel as well. So no, I'm I'm really enjoying what they're doing at the moment. I mean, 
I'll, I'll not go into obviously too specifics because I know you haven't seen it yet. But Thor: Love and Thunder, it was it was quite a disappointment for me. Now mm-hmm. we've always we've always maintained that this podcast will be positive and we'll talk about the stuff we loved, which is why I have not thrown my opinion on Thor anywhere on social media <laughs> because there's enough negativity out there. But you know, I'll certainly look forward to some discussions with a few guys in the store once they've seen it. But it just it really really felt like a misfire for me in a lot of ways and. And it was really disappointing because I, I sat there, I was so ready to be entertained and have a good time. And, you know, it was a Saturday night. We just closed up the store, nice busy week. We were in a good place. And then it just was so deflating. And I really can't wait for you to see it simply because, you know, I know how much you love that Thor run. Uh, you know, Jason Aaron's Thor run too is like Snyder Batman to me. You know, it's it's like up there in the, with the greats. So mm-hmm. it just feels... I use the word misfire rather than bad because I'm sure this movie yes. will do brilliant. I'm sure it will appeal to audiences younger than myself, but you know, it, it just feels like a misfire for me because if it, it feels like a missed opportunity to do something really special, mm. which they could have done given the source material, you know. So I'm hoping to maybe get to see it tomorrow. We're recording on the thirteenth, new new comic book day actually, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I feel a wee bit, uh, my days are a wee bit screwed up because we had our public holiday yesterday. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm hoping to maybe get to see it tomorrow evening. Uh, so I'll certainly let you know. Obviously, we can always divorce. You know, the the, the source material will remain awesome regardless of what they uh, yeah. of what they oh, make 100%. from it. Hundred percent. You know, uh, I've seen it. I've seen it described variously as a bit of a parody. Uh, I've, though I did see some posts about you know such and such uh, around Thor and Miss Marvel. About how Miss Marvel was reinvigorating a uh, like a steered MCU, and I was like, "Calm yourself, lad. Come on, <laughs> Moon Knight, fucking fantastic. Hawkeye was great. Uh, M- Multiverse of Madness was phenomenal. No Way Home was phenomenal. So, you know, uh, I think uh, I think we're definitely seeing a wee bit of a a wee bit of a, a kickback, uh, you know, or a, a what do you call it regarding the success of the Marvel universe? And yeah, you can get a wee bit. You know, obviously, it's Disney. You know, any any company like that is all they want is for all we see is Marvel stuff or Star Wars stuff. You know what I mean? And that can get a wee bit, that can get a wee bit sickening. So I do think we're seeing a wee bit of a kickback uh, now at the minute. Um, I would say, what are you? What's your uh, well, feeling? I think it'll be interesting uh, to have this conversation again in maybe a month's time because. It's uh we're on the eve of San Diego Comic Con, Marvel and Kevin Feige and so forth. They've taken out Hall C, I believe, for the first time in a number of years. And there's apparently some big announcements coming about the direction this phase is going in. I managed to avoid Twitter all day today, but I flicked on it stupidly at one point and someone said something about I can't believe that's how Miss Marvel ended. Now I didn't see what it was, but apparently mm-hmm. there's some hints at bigger things as well. So yeah, I mean, it's not that I want to call this phase directionless because it's not been directionless, but it's just it's not felt had that connectivity of the the first mm. ten years. It's amazing mm-hmm. just to go like so blase. Oh, the first ten years, <laughs> the first ten years of content <laughs> we never ever thought we'd see. You know, but it was so uh, intricately know? woven, expertly delivered, and you know had such satisfying payoff that it was always going to be hard to follow it up. But there's been undoubted bright lights among it. I mean, I loved Black Widow. You know, I really enjoyed Shang-Chi. I still haven't watched The Eternals to my detriment for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You know, enjoyed Doctor Strange. It just, Thor was the first one that felt like a, not that fatigue yeah. was setting in, but it just felt a bit like, 
yeah, I think fatigue was the word I was what I was struggling there when I said kickback, you know, yeah. for sure. But but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'll I'll get to see it. I still have to see Top Gun Maverick as well. Well, that's just unforgivable. Uh, yeah, no, that, absolutely. That is unforgivable. Um, that's as unforgivable as Darth Vader not saying, "I it's over, Obi Wan. I have the high ground." <laughs> when he was yeah, lording actually. it above him and Obi Wan. <laughs> I absolutely agree. It's as unforgivable <laughs> as you haven't seen June yet, have you? Well, I have a reason for that though. <laughs> June is part one of a two-part movie, so I'm happy to wait. Oh, <laughs> Top Gun is very yeah. much a stack. <laughs> yeah, right, fair okay. enough. Fair enough. You couldn't even convince yourself to. You've kind of uh, got. Yeah, me I hope I'm, I'm intent to see. I'm intent to see them both. Uh, there was another couple of movies that I wanted to see, just been so flat out, and that's not even taking any account. I mean, part of it as well has been trying to do a bit of DIY in the house, and my God, that always turns into a project. You know, you think <laughs> this will take two hours, it ends up taking two days as one disaster ends up in another disaster ends up in another disaster so that's part to blame uh, i also uh obviously paramount plus has come out uh, i'll try and say that again paramount plus there we go uh, has come out uh, and uh, so the the star trek uh series will be leaving netflix and i've been sort of watching my way through uh, the next generation which is just great stuff uh you know that series of you know just I'm hoping to get Deep Space Nine and Voyager watched as well, yeah, but we'll we'll see what happens. So I've been uh, I've been doing that. I've got myself totally addicted to The Office US, thanks to your good self, um, yeah, and I'm I'm burning through that. And uh, that's not even to, to to talk about the the ninety issue strong pile of comic books that I've got sitting beside my bed to read. How dare you go out and live your professional life for a couple of weeks and, and neglect your comics? This is. This is unforgivable. This is unforgivable. The worst thing is, Alan, everywhere I've gone, I have taken a pile of comics with me. And I always come back having read like two. Well, that's two more <laughs> than you just... left with, so let's look at it positively. <laughs> well, yes. True, true that, true that. But yeah, plenty of TV and movie watching. I mean, as I say, we, we both fully intend after the the conclusion of this episode to finish off Miss Marvel this evening and then I think my next one will probably be Stranger Things uh, the latest season mm. so it just seems like I think so. it, it just seems so long what are these hour and a half episodes about it's a TV uh, show I don't I, watch I, 10 know, movies let's not complain about content that we enjoy being <laughs> uh, being being put out and you know that's uh, yeah Stranger Things is one I want to watch and also the final season of Better Call Saul which, uh, which I will uh, now be watching weekly it's probably the first show and I don't know how long I will watch weekly now. Uh, yeah, okay. The, the second half of season, the final season there started on uh, Tuesday and it's going to be a weekly mm. show. So, oh man, yeah. it's so good. It couple is of, uh, so good. Yeah, I look forward to a couple of left field ones as well for me. I watched um, Outer Range with mm -hmm. uh, Josh Brolin uh, on Amazon Prime. That was really good, like a, like a, a Western sci-fi uh, mashup. Very, very good. Um, I hope it gets a second season. And uh, also uh, Wu Tang, uh, an American saga, which was on Disney Plus, I think, stars uh, all ten episodes of it. It was very, very good. You know, chronicle and the the, uh, the the formation of of one of the the most famous and influential uh, hip hop groups uh, of all time. Excellent. Well worth a watch. Well, 
that is us caught up on our TV and movie watching, but we're going to have to, I'm sorry, Keith, I know you've 90 comics to sit and read there, but we're going to have to talk about some comics. But on the plus side, we're going to be talking about comics that came out in the middle of May. Uh, I'm coming right up until the first uh, release week of June as well. So as in case this is your first time joining us, you know, we will talk spoilers the whole way through this. It's it's one of the reasons, it sounds like such an excuse, but it's one of the reasons we want to adopt this format of, you know, reviewing titles at a later date so that we're not, you know, reviewing them as soon as they come out and then maybe throwing spoilers out there so there will be spoilers throughout this just do be pre-warned but as i say with three weeks we're going to cover with this podcast we're going to cover the 18th of may the 25th of may and then the 1st of june as well so what we always like to do is kick each month or each week off i should say with what our pull lists were for that week you know and a little bit of a breakdown for that so for me this week i had a total of 20 titles on the pull list uh, that was five DC titles, four Marvel titles, so quite neck and neck there, and then 11 Indian total. But I did also have a hardcover this week, which is from the team of Jeff Lamar and Andres Sorrentino, uh, called Primordial. Now, Primordial is a title that, uh, from Image Comics that I fell slightly behind on in single issues, gave up some of my own for some for a regular customer. So I waited until the hardcover came out and uh, picked that up this week as well. So that is me. What about yourself, Keith? What were your totals this week? I was going to I was going to ask where you where you picked up the primordial hardcover because I thought you were getting it in singles, but that explains that. Um, I'm also sitting on twenty for the week of the eighteenth of May. Uh, four DC, one less than yourself. Twelve Marvel, uh, a considerable eight more than yourself, <laughs> and four indie, seven less than yourself. I also had an image first that week, and I think it was the first issue of Witches. Snyder and Jock, I believe. The very one, yeah, absolutely. It was fairly compelling stuff whenever I read it. Yeah, just a six-issue miniseries, that one. And then there is a Halloween special called Bad Egg, which was like an 80-page giant. And they've been teasing Witches 2 for I don't know how long. And a feature film adaptation, actually, as well, for Witches itself. So you never know. We may see more on that down the line. So, yeah, so those were our breakdowns. So what were our picks of the week? Well, for me, it was, of course, an indie title. Hardly surprising, given the sheer volume of titles on my... uh, my slate there so for me it was uh, a series called a town called terror it was actually issue two this week so i jumped on this initially we always say you know follow creators and that's the the mantra here because this is written by steve niles well one of the creators of 30 days of night and the art on this is simon kudransky now you know i feel like i'm just spitting out mantra after mantra here always follow creators <laughs> another one i have is i'll always give a title a minimum of two issues before i decide if they're worth continuing with you know i I think issue ones have always a lot of setup and world building to do. So it can only be by sort of the end of a second issue that you get a sense of character and story and, and, and where it's going and so forth. Now, as I said, Steve Niles, very well known, you know, 30 Days of Night, done tons of other horror stuff as well. Uh, 30 Days of Night, I should say, one of the best comic book to movie adaptations as well. I absolutely adore it. Uh, mm. And then Simon Kudransky, his roots go back to 30 Days of Night as well, but he's also done loads of other other stuff. You know, he did a great uh, Punisher run with uh, Matthew Rosenberg, as an example, which was, I think, 15 issues off the top of the head. That was, that was mm-hmm. before the yep. Punisher became, you know, persona non grata for a little while. That's right. But yeah, so A Town Called Terror, I knew this was going to be up my street, you know, it, but again just to go back to that mantra it didn't feel like an awful lot happened in issue one so i sort of got to the end of the first one going what's going on here but yeah thank god for issue two because this issue was brilliant you know it established the tone and it clearly laid out the story for moving forward so our point of view character here in uh, a town called terror is henry west so 
In the middle of the night, he is brutally kidnapped in front of his wife, Julie. Uh, but he seems to disappear into thin air, though, as there's no evidence of the act itself. There's no physical evidence. No one believes Julie about it. And therefore, no one wants to help her find her husband. So you literally have the narrative here split into two. You've got Julie trying to find her husband and one, what happened to him. And then we follow uh, Henry. Now, with Henry, he awakens and he knows exactly where he is. He's in a town he vowed to never come back to at any cost. He's actually in his you know, childhood bed. He's back in his family home. So, again, the setup is strong enough, but just as it started to get going, as I was saying, issue one ended. And thankfully, issue two picks up instantly right there and starts filling out the world. And it's anything but a straightforward narrative, and there's tons of dark imagination through this as well. So... As I say, Henry wakes up in his family home in his old bedroom. That's strange in itself, but what's even stranger is that his deceased father is newly resurrected and is imploring him to look for his mother, who has also went missing. So we get snippets here of the tainted family legacy, and Henry obviously has anger towards it. And, you know, it's this legacy that I'm sure we'll come back to look at more in upcoming issues that caused him to hit the road and never come back. And yet, it always has a way of getting you back somehow. So. As I say, we also have that adjacent narrative of Julie looking for her husband and she's hired an investigator to look into the strange goings on and he may have found something that proves that it's not all in her head as well. So the issue continues and Henry ends up chatting to his sister who is also in town and there's some violent scenes here as well that show just how dangerous Henry is. So again, he has a really dark background that's going to be really interesting to uh, to explore. You know, he, he's he's shown to be very dangerous and you know how he's not to be messed with. But it's maybe himself he doesn't trust here as much as anything else. And uh, yeah, there's there's clearly lots going on in this town. It reminds me of something like Silent Hill or Alan Wake mm. or, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how much weirder it can get. You know, as you well know, Keith, I'm a huge fan of things like Twin Peaks, for example. Yes. <laughs> weird little small towns in America just endlessly fascinate me. And that's what a town called Terror has tapped into. But it's also raising the level of horror we've come to expect from Steve Niles. I think Kudransky's art is a perfect complement for the series as well. It's entrenched in oranges and browns and reds, making this small town come across as purgatory by the way of hell. You know, the, the character designs are distinct and unsettling where they need to be. The action is easy to follow and it's suitably brutal as well. So there's just something down and dirty about the art that perfectly complements the story being told as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the biggest things you can say about this title is that there isn't another one out at the minute that it's reminiscent of. You know, it does stand as something quite original, which is nice. You know, you've got Steve Niles' small-town paranoia and Kudransky's horrific art melding perfectly. And I've already read issue three. It is awesome as well. Uh, but yeah, once again, listen to Coffee and Heroes, follow creators, and make sure to stay on something for two issues at least before deciding it's not for yeah. you because I'm in hook, line, and sinker now. Great title, great title. Sounds sounds really interesting, especially those comparisons to Silent Hill and different bits and pieces. I agree with you. I'm a wee bit obsessed with with uh, isolated small town America. You know, such a big country that seems at times sort of all joined up, and then you realise there are these big black holes that are just you know there the people don't know what's going on in there. You know, uh, whether it be forgotten or, pockets almost. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's you know that 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 obsession focuses on the Appalachians, you know, the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, and those little towns and little communities up there. Um, you saw it, I guess, in uh, in Dope Sick uh, to some extent, but there's also a podcast I listen to called The Old Gods of Appalachia, uh, which I must uh, link you to. I think yeah. you quite enjoy it. Yeah. It's all 
it's all horror stories based on that, you know, a compendium horror stories based up in that in that area. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Very, very cool. Sounds. And I agree with you. Uh, there's a few issues, few things now that have come out that I've I always will will give it to maybe three issues. Um, Steve Orlando's changed to Marauders is, is one of those. Sadly, I think uh, Marauders is, is going to lose me now uh, after Steve Orlando taking it over. Mm-hmm. Um, just the stories just not keeping me the same way Jerry Dugan's did. Well, there's a reason for that. Jerry Dugan is very good at what he does, hence why he's on yeah. the Manex title. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that was my pick of the week. That was uh, 18th of May release. That was A Town Called Terror number two. So what this week stood out for you uh, above all others? Well, uh, what stood out for me on the 18th of May was Batman the Night number five, um, which I, I know normally Batman is your purview, but whenever it's good, it's good. Um, you know, don't accuse me of bias. <laughs> never would. <laughs> Uh, I think, you know, for the past few months, Chip Zdarsky's uh, Batman's Beginning series uh, has been sort of skirting around my top choices. The first three issues were pretty compelling, but weren't quite there except in moments. Number four, the last issue, upped the game a wee bit. But this one, number five, I think really picked it up and ran with it for me. Um, And it finally gave me a glimpse of what I was hoping this series would be. And that is the seminal Batman training adventure, the kind of stuff that we glimpsed in Batman Begins, and that's the reason why of, of the Nolan trilogy, that's the one that I go back to most regularly. As an iconic hero, Batman is a character who's largely statuesque and unchanging, you know, around his around his basic status quo, the same as the Spider-Mans and the Captain Americas and that. But these stories allow us to see the clay that forms that statue being worked and molded and to see that change in process that you don't get to see in the the necessarily the modern day stories it feels like chip sort of maybe this issue stopped trying to make his mark on batman here and started telling the story and maybe i don't know between issue three and four or four and five he got the news that he's going to be the the main batman writer and just gets comfortable you know and starts thinking about the the work that you know the giants before him have done and you know, this, this issue is kind of cool because it investigates maybe one of Batman's less sexy skills, you know, beyond his awesome martial arts action and his world-class detective skills. And that's his role as a master of disguise. Uh, you know, you know the, the, the stories in which he becomes Matches Malone or, or any of the other characters or, or disguises that he adopts. And, I mean, I'm sure you like this issue, Alan, because, I mean, there were real Bond-esque overtones uh and some parts of it would that be fair to say bruce wayne as a spy you just can't go wrong with that can you it's <laughs> super spy action i mean it, it definitely had a wee sniff of casino royale the way it was organized you know cut between parts where bruce and his maybe ally anton are being held and tortured in a russian prison uh you know learning to keep their mouths shut and then the latter half set in swanky russian society party it sort of you know it, it mirrored that to me, those scenes in Casino Royale where Bond's being tortured in the chair and, you know, then he's also in the casino. It's it's kind of cool. And, you know, at the party, our protagonists are vying to obtain a MacGuffin from under the nose of a host, uh, you know, a dangerous host, uh, under the watchful eye of their mentor, Avery, who's an ex-KGB master of disguise, who's teaching the lads the art of, you know, cunning and disguise and charisma. Um, the, the other protagonist, Anton, appeared last issue uh and you can see how chip is sort of showing us he's using them as a counterpoint to bruce he, you know anton's willing to do some things that bruce isn't you know whether that whether it's seducing someone or 
or or or going down a more criminal route uh, that 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 Bruce sort of rails against. Um, they're they're nearly not quite dark reflections of one another, but you know he's using it to highlight Bruce's moral compass. And you can imagine that maybe by the end of this, they're not going to be so friendly or they're maybe going to be coming to blows or maybe, you know, that'll be the final test. One has to eliminate the other, something along those, you know, there's, there's a part of me and it's the, it's the, it's all connected Marvel continuity fan part that wishes that this character had been an early ghost maker, a la Tinian's Batman run, you know, that sort of way it would have lined up quite nicely, I think. Um, Really solid art from Gio Domenico and, you know, I think it really, you know, you hear more and more about artists almost helping the characters to act, you know, you know, where the writer's the director and the, the artist is the, you know, is the actor almost, you know, giving the characters their faces and whatever else and, and their, their emotions. And, you know, in, a, in an issue that doesn't have an awful lot of, an awful, it still has it, but it doesn't have an awful lot of kinetic action, you know, the character acting and the backgrounds and the background characters, you know, it really keeps them interested and visually vibrant. Uh, and it really works. Um, series is, I think, halfway through. Yeah, uh, would that be correct? Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, whenever it's complete, it's going to make a very attractive trade detailing Bruce's training and, and Batman's beginning, you know, if they release it as the complete run of 10. I'm also interested to see now if if Chip's writing the main book, you know, he, he pivots things to plant some seeds in the main book if he, if he hasn't already done so. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see that. I mean, you never want the series to be, you know, with the main Batman run, oh, to understand this, you should have read that. But it'd be nice, yeah. as you say, if there's little seeds uh, to reward readers who obviously follow along with both. And yeah, I mean, I I've dug this series, you know, pretty much since its inception. Again, you know, following creators, anything Chip writes, were there, and it, it almost felt like was this an audition for Batman or something? I don't know. I mean, he had already done Batman: Urban Legends. I suppose that a really good mm-hmm, story with mm-hmm. Jason Todd, but. As you say, the writing's become more confident, I think, as this series has gone on. And maybe, as you say, that's with that in mind. Uh, it's also not afraid to throw in some nice wee nods to certain things as well. There was a, a great panel in issue five where Bruce is getting like a, a scar attached to his face. Mm-hmm. And that scar is in the exact same place as Batman Year One when Bruce goes down to like um, the dark side of town dressed up in, you know, just a hat and the, the jacket. He's the drifter, essentially. And he talks about how you don't need to wear a complete disguise. You just need one really noticeable detail. And therefore, that's all people remember about you. So that's where the scar comes from. So, ah, there's, there's, I see. I didn't I didn't pick that up. That's where it takes a Batman expert. Yeah, there's uh, there's little nods all the way through. So you can sort of see that Chip has, obviously, reverence for the character and the classic runs. And, you know, there's nothing better than that. You know, we saw that with, you know, Spider-Man Life Story when, when Chip did that. I... I think we spoke to him about it and he said he read like all 780 issues or whatever it was at that point. You know, he says he never wants to see Spider-Man again uh, to a degree, but it just shows the level of dedication and the research and, you know, as I say, the reverence for the characters. So, yeah, I've loved this series. Uh, as you say, 10 issues. It should make an absolutely delicious hardcover, I would like to think, along the way. Don't release it as two trades, please. Don't double dip us. Just hit us with a nice hardcover uh, mm-hmm. to finish off and... Yeah, great art through it as well. And I, I even just really enjoy the format of this series. Each issue focuses on a different skill learned, you know, mm, whether yeah, it's the yeah. ninja skill or it's the spy in this case and the information gathering, whether it's, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, great series. And 
as you say, it's sort of been on the precipice of being picks of the week. I think I may have picked issue one as pick of the week back yeah. at the start, but it's there or thereabouts pretty much every issue. And and again, keeping the same artist on it always makes a difference. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't need interchangeable uh, interchangeable artists on this as well. So yeah, great. And choice. that'll be the other reason it'll make a lovely it'll make a lovely hardcover. Just that that complete story, you know. hundred uh, percent. So yeah, great choice. That was Keith's choice for the eighteenth of May, and that was Batman the Night number five. So we'll keep this train rolling and go straight into the twenty fifth then of May. And this was a, a bigger week for the both of us than the week prior. So for me this week had twenty eight titles in total. Uh, so I had 10 DC, so a nice big DC week, 6 Marvel, still more than respectable there, and uh, 12 indie titles, of course, winning as ever. Uh, what about yourself? What were your numbers? I had 27 titles on the 25th of May, uh, 8 DC, 8 Marvel, neck and neck there, and with one another, and 11 indie. Uh, perfect balance, as all things should be. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I have to slightly cheat this week and throw up an honourable mention, even though we said we weren't going to do this, but... When we put these notes together, we always put a couple of choices in for what might be our pick of the week. And I couldn't, for a while, I couldn't choose between these two titles. But I have to throw this one as an honorable mention. I didn't pick it only because it might have seemed petty to give it the honorable men or to give it the pick of the week. <laughs> so I did accuse you of the same. You did, and <laughs> I still have to talk about it because it's one of my favorite moments in comics this year. Uh, so my honourable mention, just very quickly, was uh, Task Force Z number eight. Now I've called this series DC's. You know, it, it's the title that just not enough people are, are reading. It is a fantastic series about essentially a Task Force X esque Suicide Squad, but they're all reanimated villains, so they can be controlled. And Jason Todd leads it. It's absolutely brilliant from Matthew Rosenberg. But the reason it gets an honourable mention is just for the fact that it's no secret. Just do not like Jason Todd and the Bat Family. He's just a boring character. Again, maybe I've just not read the right things, but for me, he's a boring character. And in this, there's a scene where all the different uh, all the different Robins are fighting Jason Todd, and he'll talk about uh, Dick Grayson how he's the favorite one, and then Damien will come in. And he's like, "Well, you're the family member, so you're the most loved one." And then like Jason Todd jumps in, and he goes, oh, well, or sorry, not Jason Todd, Tim Drake jumps in and goes, well, what am I? And he says, you're the boring one. And then breaks his nose. It's so good. Uh, what a moment. <laughs> Chill, chills. Chills. Uh, see, I don't know. I don't know. You're just just picking on picking on Jason. You just, you know, it's the jealousy over his sports. That's moment. what it is, you know. <laughs> such a good moment. Really was. Um, but anyway, if anybody can convince me to like Tim Drake, Chip Zdarsky is including Tim Drake quite uh, front and centre in his new Batman run, uh, starting at Batman 125, which I'm sure we'll get into in, in future weeks. But yeah, as I say, that was almost pick of the week, but it was just beaten out by another Matthew Rosenberg title. Uh, so for me, the pick of the week this week was DC versus Vampires Hunters number one. So this was a one shot. So DC versus Vampires is essentially a uh, 12 issue miniseries and they're doing three issues in the middle of it three one shots so there's hunters killers and the third one hasn't been released yet so the name escapes me but so so this one is written by matthew rosenberg and the art is neil Gouge, who is someone i'm not overly familiar with i must admit but again i'm already a big fan of dc versus vampires i think it's a brilliant elseworlds-esque title that i'm so glad wasn't confined to just like a six issue mini series as i said instead the main series runs the 12 issues and then we're being treated to these one shots DC versus Vampires, it's normally Matthew Rosenberg co-writing with James Tinney in the fourth, so great creative team there, and Otto Schmidt has been the artist the whole way through, but 
again, for the purposes of these one-shots, there's some different people. So Rosenberg returns, solo riding, and as I say, Neil Gouge is... Uh, I mean, I assume he's doing these to let you know Otto Schmidt get ahead on the main series. So, But yeah, if you want a textbook example of how to do a one-shot story while simultaneously providing a jumping-on point for those who are late to the party, all wrapped up with brilliant action, some brilliant character dynamics, and a lot of heart, then this is the title for you. So... As I was, I was obviously talking about Robbins there and you know, Tim Drake and Dick Grayson and all the rest, but as well as being a fan of the series, as we all know, I'm a total mark for Damian Wayne. So having him highlighted here was always going to be a treat. So he's utilized in this in a vampire hunter role, which works brilliantly as he has the arrogance and the skills to take them on. And luckily is backed up by everyone's favorite Bat Universe character, Alfred. Oh, I miss Alfred so much. Uh, so... In this uh, in this dystopian universe, vampires have long planned to take over the world, and they've done so through meticulous planning and savage, violent actions. You know, this is a universe where heroes don't thrive; they they're lucky to survive. So, spoilers, as I say, I can't say enough, but I'm going to have to spoil issue six of DC versus Vampires to talk about this a little more. You may remember if you listened to previous pods, I said that Keith issue six was the one that was going to keep him in it for the long run. And if you haven't read that, skip this part. However, I should say issue six is the one instance in which I was, you know, I was confident you'd stay on it. So mm-hmm. Damien is introduced. You weren't wrong either. You weren't wrong. I, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that because I know you were teetering a little bit. I know we talked yeah. about staying on one, two, maybe even three issues, but even five issues in, you weren't quite there. But, you know, then issue six was enough to do it. So, so yeah, Damien is introduced as, a, as an undercover vampire in this one shot trying to get to a corrupted Dick Grayson who has become the boss of the vampires in Gotham City, a role he ascended to in issue six. So in this uh, one shot, Damien is dutifully assisted by both Alfred, but also Martian Manhunter, as they try to bypass Black Mask to get to Dick, with Damien confident that he will be the one to be able to take him down. You know, balance is everywhere in this issue. You know, you're balancing horror and action, but there's also a lot of humour as well. But again, this shouldn't be too surprising, as Violent But Funny is pretty much right in Rosenberg's wheelhouse. You know, it really is seeing Damien having to deal with Black Mask talking down to him, even going so far as to calling him Bat Baby. Yeah, Black Mask regrets <laughs> that later on. But as I talked about heart, and the real heart of this issue is in exploring the bond that despite everything that has happened, that still exists between Damien, Alfred, and Dick. You know, Alfred still believes that Dick is not beyond saving. You know, I've always, I've always said that Alfred's superpower is to be able to see the good in people, and it's tested to its absolute maximum here. Damien wants Dick to pay for what he did to Batman and although he has embraced the dark side Dick is not beyond reason and actually shows compassion and mercy more than once in this issue you know there's nuances here to all the characterization and that is no small feat in an action book which shows vampires being disposed of in bloody and imaginative ways the art by uh, Neil Gouge is really really good easy to follow action sequences including one nod to the old boy iconic corridor fight which I really, really liked as well. You know, there's loads of imagination. You know, we we get a horizontal fight down a corridor. We get a vertical f- fight as Damien disposes of a vampire as they fall down a building floor by floor. The way Goose draws the characters and panels, it's really exciting and interesting to look at as well as, you know, some cool character flourishes. But yeah, again, as I say, DC versus Vampires Hunter, it's the very definition of what makes a tie-in good. You know, it's fast-paced, it's exciting, it brings new readers bang up to date with the status quo while also telling a good story for those who have been on board from the start. Plus, it has the best Robin as the hero, 
and the second best Robin is the villain. How could you not love that? And uh, also throw in a little uh, quote here. <laughs> Hold on now. <laughs> I say all this while you sit there. You sit there in your Nightwing t-shirt. <laughs> second best Robin, better character. Anyway, um, but just to close, I have a direct quote from none other than Miss Vicky Beechner. It was great. So that's DC versus Vampires uh, Hunters. Brilliant title. Uh, I believe you're on this as well, yeah. Yes, yes. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I've got the next one. I think uh, featuring Harley. Is it Killers? Oh, Is that the one? So no. important to the overall narrative. It's unreal. They uh, uh, they talk about uh, these yeah. one shots tying in, but that like that really ties in. There's some big big. Uh, big things come out in that issue as well but yeah this issue as i say just exploring that bond between damien and dick and alfred that's still there despite you know the decisions each character's made and the directions they go on it's just brilliantly mm-hmm. done so but yeah as keith very rightly said there i'm saying the second best rob and i'm sitting here in my nightwing t-shirt as we record so <laughs> don't have a damien t-shirt gonna have to change no, no, that. You're, yeah yeah well that's because damien doesn't have a t-shirt you know because he's a backup character at best <laughs> i may just have to finish this podcast right here there, maybe there was a reason i was doing these in my own the last couple of weeks you know? <laughs> anyway that was my pick of the week so that was the 25th of may release and as i say a perfect chance perfect place to jump on if you missed the first six issues of dc versus vampires because it will bring you up to date uh so yeah dc versus vampires hunters number one and what this week was your pick of the week well, while it was brilliant to see Department of Truth back with co-creator Martin Simmons at the helm, I am much too in love with Kurt Busiek and Carlos Pacheco's Aerosmith to let number five pass me by. Uh, so that is my choice, Aerosmith behind Enemy Lines number five. And bingo cards at the ready, uh, but there isn't another book doing the heavy lifting in terms of world building as this book is right now. Um, and what a world they're building narratively and visually in Fletcher Arrow Smith's alternative World War One, steeped in magic and in myth. And in addition to the world building, of which I know we're both massive advocates, this is one of the most entertaining and evocative reads I've had in a long time. Sandman Volume 1 aside, of course. Uh, you are not on this at all, are you? Nope. Not as no, And you haven't read the, the hardback yet, or the, the original? No, not yet. So smart in their fine uniforms? Um, you absolutely should. This is just so good. Um our mutual compadre, uh, Martin, who's a man of considerable historical knowledge, um, you know, he and I had a conversation about the cascading failures that might plague these sort of slight diversions and timelines, you know, but mm-hmm. I mean, I absolutely get that. But if you're willing to look at these things through a, a less pragmatic lens of, of storytelling and entertainment, uh, this is some of the best you'll get. Um, in this issue, we learn a lot about the histor- historical diversions that led to this world rather than to our own uh great war history um and we learn them we learn about the history of this world beautifully through our protagonist fletcher arrowsmith who it turns out did not learn a lot about world history in school he went to to school as, a, as an american um uh, in the in the, uh, the the nation of columbia as it now is um and and so that's how we learn we learn about the world as he does uh which is which is pretty cool so i mean the backstory the overall story um uh, we've got the prison camp uh, where Fletcher Smith was. Uh, he's a uh, he's been been sent to to deliberately been captured because he had to meet a guy, you know, a, a secret agent sort of thing. And at the prison camp, the Black Baron, who's our big bad, discovers that the man he was looking for uh, is gone. The Baron has allies in the Lupa who are werewolves, and he sends them on the hunt 
despite warnings from the crux, which are the the, uh, the Catholic Church of this particular, or the, the, the supernatural side of the Catholic Church in this particular world. Um, Guy, who is uh, Fletcher's contact, uh, learns more about his mission from uh, Fletcher's oracle chips, which are the part of the, the, the get-up that allows uh, Fletcher to fly as an airman alongside his, his dragoon. Um, and we find out that with, with the peace of Charlemagne, uh, Charlemagne, uh, humans made a made a pact with the Lightborn, who are the the good uh, supernatural creatures to keep humans out of the Fey lands. And now, during the the war, the Allied powers are negotiating safe passage through their lands that would let the Allied armies go anywhere undetected and therefore sort of beat the Axis uh, or Central powers. And the Central powers have learned this and have taken a, a Lightborn princess as hostage. And the only way to locate her and rescue her is to for, for for Fletcher to undertake this mission and go through the trolls, and that's where that's where Fletcher comes in because, as we learned in the first uh, the first story, the first hardcover uh, back at home, uh, someone that Fletcher was quite close to was this troll who had migrated from Europe and worked on his father's uh, on his father's blacksmith. And so there's a lot going on, <laughs> you know, I have to sort of have to update you before I can go into what happens this issue. But <laughs> as this issue opens, you know, Fletcher's dreaming, uh, you know, he's got, he's dreaming about this old man and this, this pool of water and this water sprite. And it's all beautifully rendered by the legend that is Carlos Pacheco. And, you know, he, he wakes up and uh, he and Guy head on to the the rest of their, their, their journey uh, into the mountains. And we have this scene where, where they're in the, the mountains against this cliff face in the woods and Guy casts this spell and a huge door becomes visible and it's absolutely a throwback to the scene from Lord of the Rings, you know, where Gandalf and the, 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 the hobbits and the, the Fellowship are trying to enter the, the mines of Moria, you know, that sort of speak friend and, <laughs> and you shall enter, <laughs> you know, Gandalf, you old fool. But uh, so so this this takes them into the, the, the troll home uh, and this is it's a, a part of Germany, I think, uh, which is magically hidden from human eyes, and we just we learn a wee bit more about the trolls, and you know this is to say where, where Fletcher comes in because he knows more about troll society through his old friend Rocky, uh, who uh, we 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 he was raised alongside, you know, and that sort of stuff. So you see how deep this this world and the relationships are, and this is only after you know a six issue miniseries and then another five issues. There's so much going on, and you know, so Fletcher he's in the you know in the troll home and he's trying to learn and absorb as much as he can their rituals, their community. Uh, you know, and he, it has him thinking back to Rocky and, you know, what Rocky left behind in order to travel to the States to live and work amongst humans. So there's some, you know, there's some questions there and some, uh, I guess, some some stuff about uh, about refugees, you know, and, and all of that sort of stuff. And um, at this point, we learn a wee bit more about, the, I say, the background, uh, you know, as... as, as uh, Fletcher has some questions about the Feylands for for Guy, and uh, Guy is you know we, we'll learn more and more about that character. But uh, it turns out Charlemagne was fascinated by the Lightborn when they appeared so much so that that he built his capital at this area that was a place where the the, the borders of the you know between the Feylands and the real world were were so thin. So this was back in the, you know the twelve twelve hundreds or something. Um, he wanted to meet Charlemagne wanted to meet Lightborn and learn more about them. And, you know, it turns out this is the guy who Fletcher was, was dreaming about, uh, you know, and, uh, it was all of this, you know, all of this, this stuff about Charlemagne, you know, becoming favored of the, 
of the of the, the fairies and he was one of the rare kings who could draw upon magic and then you know over succeeding generations that's how magic then sprung into existence amongst humans and amongst human lands and and all of that so it's just it's just some some really cool really cool stuff just brilliant world building um but the the, the the crux of it is that through the trolls they find out where where the lightborn princess is prisoner and they are they're sent off in the general direction which i think is north and, and east but you know what this issue does is it takes us to a whole nother new place a whole nother new part of, of arrow smith's world uh introducing the the trolls and the troll home where we've only seen one troll before really and you know the art just does it so it does does it such justice you know we, we we see some 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 parts of the underground ground you know troll caverns and uh, different snapshots about how it, it's similar or interesting you know or are different to our world the trolls themselves are sort of big humanoids but they're they're almost thing like you know like they're almost like like ben Grimm. they're they're like really big and rocky but they're also leafy as well and they're you know, the way they dress and, and, you know, how they eat their meals communally. And, you know, you can see all these statues and you've got Fletcher wondering, are they gods or whatever else, you know? So, and the, the flashback to the story of Charlemagne, which took place thousands of years ago and, you know, during which time the church was very closely tied to royalty and, you know, sowing the seeds about the conflict between the church and the lightborn. And we're starting to see that played out in the, and the, the more up to date, you know, the, the the Great War between the the Black Baron and the Crux, and it just it's so rich. It just adds such a rich background and a rich pillow for the the story to to take place on. You know, um, it really is a, a fantastically detailed detailed world. But what we're what we do see is we we start to understand that the Great War is is only part of a larger conflict. You know, the conflict that's going on behind the Great War. That's that's what really matters. The Great War is only the surface battle, and you know, the 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 consequences of what happens if this magical war that started so many thousands of years ago was lost uh, are just you know, it's just it's just crazy stuff. It's so good, Alan. So good. Um, I I have to lend you that hardback, and uh, you'll have to read these six issues. I think this is only six issues, so the coming issue will be the will be the finale. But so good. It's really interesting that uh, I had a customer in on Saturday ask me for the first issue of this for the uh, prime reason that they'd obviously been listening to the podcast and heard your excitement about it and <laughs> therefore wanted to jump into it. They were like, oh yeah, your man on the podcast got really excited about this title. Have you have you got any of it? And I was like, well, if issue one's here, I can sort you straight away, give it a go, see what you think. And sure, if you like it, come back next week and we can get you sorted. But uh, yeah, so at least you know your excitement is transmitting through the airwaves. Well, people. that's very sure. That's <laughs> that's why we do what we do. That's nice to hear. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, I'll I'll have to play catch up starting this one. As you say, this is a six issue mini. I mean, uh, I think the original series was six issues. That hardcover is just six, isn't it? Yeah, and I know that there's an intention of at least another six. Uh, but I can I can see it with with the richness that they're building here. I can see it maybe Continue. extending out beyond that six. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Very very good. Very good series. Great. Great world, great tapestry they're building. Well, again, I think this is at least the second, possibly even third time it's been a pick of the week. So, you know, there is no higher compliment than that. So, but one thing I did notice uh, just as we get ready to move on to the next month here as well and creates a little bit of mystery and tension. All three, uh -huh. all three of your picks here are number fives. Oh, interesting. 
that didn't very notice that seldom myself. Happens. That very seldom happens. So, yeah, just a wee interesting thing I noticed. So you'll have to stay tuned to know what his number five from the first of June is. <laughs> <laughs> Dangle that carrot out there. So, but yeah, for twenty uh, fifth of May, then that was Kate's pick, which was Arrowsmith behind Enemy Lines number five. So that closes off the month of May twenty twenty two, and we kick things off straight away with the first of June. So numbers had slightly reduced this week, but still more than respectable. And this was a very expensive week for me, not really because uh-huh. of my single issues, but because of what else came out. So uh, when it comes to the single issues in the pull list, I had 22 titles this week. So it was seven DC, five Marvel, and as ever, indie titles winning out. But this week saw the release of a Omnibus, which I'd been waiting on quite some time. It was a 2022 reprint of The Death and Return of Superman. So that classic story all collected in one place. But there were also, also two absolutely beautiful hardcovers this week, uh, one of which was Murder Falcon. This is a Daniel Warren Smith uh, creator-owned title, uh, released through Image Comics. It was eight issues in total, so the hardcover is the complete series. But also this week was Firepower Volume 1 hardcover. Now, we've, you know, we've talked about the virtues and the brilliance of this series many, many times. Robert Kirkman, Chris Samney. And the, the hardcover volume contains the 80-page uh, intro, uh, sort of origin story almost setting it all up but then also the first 12 issues as well so an absolutely delightful book there and if you've never read Firepower highly highly recommend it uh, so yeah mm-hmm. that was my tools uh, you've read The Death and Return of Superman yeah I have yeah I've read it well I've read it years ago but just always been one of those ones I wanted to have the collection of it, it came out at a time where comic companies were obsessed with crossovers so trying to put single issue collections together of things like Death and Return of Superman, Batman, Nightfall, The Clone Saga. It's just impossible. So omnibuses are your friend in this kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, it's I got it uh, not in single issues, but in trades. Whenever it came out, I got it in three trades. Death of Superman, if you know, for a friend, and uh, uh, Return of Superman, mm-hmm. uh, which was the, the reign of the Superman. Um, yeah, such a, such a, such a story. Uh, really enjoyed it. It's one of those... One of those that I just, yeah, even, you know, the uh, there's certain scenes you remember, like, uh, at the time I didn't really know who Booster Gold was, but, like, Doomsday just slamming Booster Gold's head in a, in a car door, uh, and all of, man, that was, it was just scary, just his, his constant just push across the continent to get to, to get to Superman, you know, Superman trying to, trying to stop him, all the, the Justice League and the various heroes trying to, it was uh, very, very good. Uh, still got say I've still got the three, the three trades here. Maybe we should have picked that up just for the, for the crack. But uh, I'm led to believe that you know it was that the the reason for the death of Superman and also for Edge of Apocalypse was because of Image. Mm-hmm. Was because the you know the, the dent that Image had made, uh, and uh, both DC and Marvel at that point, uh, DC had dropped down to become the third comic company uh, as as image stopped up stepped up to the i think the number two place to take to take its place and i think dc went Shh, we need to do something <laughs> so what do we do we'll, we'll kill and bring back our biggest character uh, and then i think something very similar happened that's why the marvel decided they needed to reinvigorate the x line so they with edge of apocalypse they stopped all of the x books and there were many many of them at the time and uh, and uh, and brought out the edge of apocalypse crossover over four months to try and and uh, regain those those points, but uh, there you go. Thanks to thanks to Image, we have the Death and Return of Superman. <laughs> yeah, I think you're. I think you're. Right. I think Death of Superman. I think that issue it was a black poly bagged issue. I think it may still hold the record for DC's biggest ever single issue 
selling title, just the same way mm. X-Men number one did with Jim Lee at the helm and stuff like that. But as you say, it was very much a reaction to the, the, the momentum and the, the dent that Image Comics had made in the comic industry at that point. So, uh, But yeah, as I say, it was all about events at that time. It was early 90s. Mm. It was you know Death of Superman, Bruce Wayne getting his back broken and a new pretender coming in and the clone saga for Super, uh, Spider-Man, sorry, and mm-hmm. all that kind of Age Executioner of song. Uh, yeah, Age of Apocalypse later on. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think the reason that that was the biggest seller was because you had to buy two copies, one to keep, uh, one to open and read, and to wear the black armband that came in it. <laughs> oh, with some great product placement. You, know, you had a poster uh-huh. as well. I think you had a, a recreation of the front page of the Daily Planet of the story for the death of Superman as well. So, yeah, that was... First uh, time... First time I ever saw a comic book uh, mentioned in a daily newspaper. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was in, the, in, the, in a lot of the UK newspapers, some of the tabloids, I think, mm-hmm. uh, that my mum got. Uh, but it was like, Superman to die! Uh, you know, it was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a big thing. Big thing. Well, at least it was Americans killing him there, because I still remember seeing Batman R.I.P. when Grant Morrison was killing Batman off, and all these people going, who is this British writer killing off this American icon? <laughs> You know, how dare he? So at least with uh, the death and return of Superman, it was American creators, so it was all good. But uh, yeah, as I say, a pretty expensive uh, week for me this week, but tons of quality. I would say so. And what about yourself? What were your numbers for the first of June? I had uh, two more singles than you, uh, 24 to year 22. Five of them DC, 12 of them Marvel, seven of them indie. Uh, I don't think I had any additional doodads uh, that particular week. Nope, indeed. So we'll just jump straight into the single issues and the picks of the week. And for me, the pick this week was undoubtedly, and this is probably further reinforced because I read issue two of this a couple of days ago. Uh, but yeah, for me, the pick of the week this week was The Closet number one. So this is written by James Tinney in the fourth and art by Gavin Fullerton. So, you know, you're probably bored hearing it, you know, pull out your Coffee and Heroes bingo card. Time now for another lesson on following creators. So, yeah. Of course, we've always been fans of Tinny and how often have we spoke about his titles. You know, it's something is killing the children and the horror aspect of that. It's the paranoia and conspiracy theory of, you know, Department of Truth. It's the all ages adventuring of wind or indeed his Batman run as well. So we're always on board for a new creator owned title from uh, Tinian. Throw in some local talent in the guise of Gavin Fullerton, artist of Bog Bodies with Declan Shelby, of course, and Chris O'Halloran the busiest colorist in comics you know think a righteous thirst for vengeance ice cream man time before time immortal hulk to mention but a few and you have a recipe i think here for a great creator-owned horror book and issue one i thought delivered big time you know the closet it presents as, as the name should suggest you know presents itself as a contained claustrophobic tale you know where we're dealing with a small family and the horrors that both happen to them from outside forces and the emotional horror they inflict upon each other within their little family units. So with The Closet, there's a family of three who we will be spending time with. There's a young son named Jamie who's afraid of the monster in his closet that, of course, no one believes him about. You've got a husband who's been less than loyal to his wife, but she has forgiven, if not forgotten. So, of course, what do they do? They indulge in a cross-country move for the whole family. It's basically the Hail Mary of keeping this family together, you know, that uh, that that fresh start. So, uh, so yeah, three-issue miniseries, which, you know, already feels a bit short to me, given the atmosphere and the world character uh, and world and character building in issue one. It kicks off with uh, with meeting the patriarch of the family, Tom. You know, the, the cracks in the family are there for all to see as Tom drowns his troubles at the local bar, pouring his heart out to the barman. So... 
from the start, the theme of fear is already present. You know, Tom is presented as a somewhat pathetic character. You know, he's forever afraid of disappointing his wife again and can't help his son with his fear of what may be lurking in the closet. So as I say, his cure in a sense, what he has been doing all of his life, running away. You know, he wants to move them across the country. After all, the embers of his affair won't be there and the closet his son is so afraid of will be able to follow also. So what's cool about this book is the the dual narrative setup. You know, we will, of course, predominantly be following Tom as he seems, seeks to bring the family close together. But we also see the child Jamie's story as he sees the things in front of him that go bump in the night. You know, where you, you can feel yourself imploring Tom to just believe his son instead of just dismissing it as his imagination. You know, this is a theme that I think is really interesting. Tinian explores this in Something is Killing the Children as well. You know, where children can see the monsters that adults cannot. You know, maybe we need to start Ooh. listening to, to the kids a bit more. Um, but yeah, you've got Fullerton's art, which is a great match for Tinian's writing. It captures, you know, both the common tropes and looks of small family life, but also creates unsettling and claustrophobic spaces. You know, the emptiness of the the apartment being packed up, you know, the, the emptiness of those living spaces, it, it emphasizes the emptiness of this family's life and how little there actually is bonding between them. You know, I think the character work is also great here. There's expressive faces, fear and disappointment drenched all over each member of the family. Again, I mentioned Chris O'Halloran. I mean, his name alone suggests quality. You know, the colors are excellent. works in perfect harmony. It's lots of muted, dark colors, dim lighting. Sort of plays perfectly in the horror tropes, but also, I think, represents the dull, lifeless lives the characters are maybe living. But yeah, overall, I thought the closet, number one, I thought it set up the tale brilliantly. It's a great mix of dark, even cosmic horror there are some genuine skin crawling moments in this and mm. and they're achieved through minimalism which i really like you know this isn't the big scary things go bump in the night this is you know a, a an alien shape essentially peering its head around a corner it's bright teeth it's you know you can feel the fear in the child's uh the child's eyes every time you know truly truly creepy but again you've got that human drama at the center of it as well i mean you know, I mentioned it at the start there. My only downer would be the fact that the series is only set for three issues, as it definitely feels like it could be going longer. But uh, but then again, I'm pretty sure this tinning guy knows what he's doing, so maybe three issues is the perfect length. Yeah, I mean, three issues is just sharp enough to, you know, lead you in and give you a punch in the stomach, you know. So so I think that's maybe what he's... what he. But yeah, I don't know what... It, yeah, I mean, there was a couple of things there. I mean, I, I read this as well, obviously, uh, for the same reason, you know, following following creators, I guess, and uh, and a bit of horror. Um, was the you know the the protagonist sitting in the bar at the start, and we've all been there. where you are sort of like, ah, I just have one more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, another. Sure, uh, sure. It's my turn. We're we're in rounds. It's your round anyway. You know, just uh, you know what I mean. The most dangerous uh, so thing they, in the world. They they set up. Uh, they set up a. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's doing it for different reasons to to run away, but. They do set up something that you can, uh, you can sort of empathise with there. I think, and I don't, I don't know what it was about the the scares or the horror. You know, I don't know if it was because it looked like a wee grey alien, but it had teeth. Mm. They normally don't have mouths, you know, or there was something just a wee bit weird about. You know, you get used to, you get years of years of living in, you know, living in the nineties and the X Files. You get so used to seeing little grey aliens, you know. Uh, so seeing it slightly different here was just a wee bit chilling and just the. You know the cry of the child. He'll be coming to you. You know as they move house. So it's uh, oh, it was it was very very good stuff. I really enjoy. It. I'm looking forward to seeing what issues two and three bring. I'm so far behind that issues two and three are in my in my read pile at the minute. Um, I just haven't had a chance to read them yet. I may read them back to back. 
Well, I mean, if you're going to do that, I'm pretty sure issue three isn't out yet. So, <laughs> oh, is it not? I don't think it's through your pile. Let me. I'm just going to have a wee look at a preview state here. But oh, never, never worry. I've, only, I've only read issue two so far. That's the only reason I'm. I'm pretty sure it's not out yet right, because right. I, issue two is fantastic. Uh, joined August third, so a couple of weeks. Okay. Oh, my mistake. Sorry, there was something said in the store on Monday uh, that made me believe that I that I had it. Uh, so <laughs> and I haven't. You know. Yeah. But Fair yeah, point. Issue two is fantastic. I mean, the issues feel a little oversized as well. Um, so it could be that it's maybe about the length of a four, maybe even five issue miniseries. But yeah, I just I love the creative team here. I mean, it's interesting. I remember back when we spoke to Deck ages ago, he said, "Oh, keep your eye on Gavin. You know, he's got some good stuff coming up." And then mm. about a month later, there it is announced with none other than James Tinian working with him. So yeah, great, yeah. great number one. I thought I read it a couple of times, and and again, I think it's just with both of us sort of being, you know children of the 90s and loving all that x-files and conspiracy theory stuff and things that go bump in the night it felt a wee bit like a twilight zone episode as well and yeah just very very yeah. good stuff from uh from tinian and fullerton so yeah the closet number one <laughs> yeah who are we expecting our uh <laughs> the erica slotter day appear and and save the day <laughs> stay tuned for issue three uh-huh absolutely so yes, yeah, so that was my pick of the week then, 1st of June, and brand new number one, it was the closet number one. So we now get to finally find out the answer to that other all-encompassing mystery. What is your number five pick of the week this week? <laughs> well, that was that was perfect mystery setup and and third act delivery there, Alan. <laughs> Brilliant. There's a there's a reason you're a, a writer par excellence. <laughs> um, so so yeah, I mean there was there was an awful lot going on this week, uh, as you said. You know, the closet number one was great. Firepower number twenty one. Uh, Once on Future 26, I couldn't pick it again because, I mean, this that series is just ramping up as it comes towards its conclusion. Uh, nice House was back with, uh, with number nine. And the brilliant and uh, one that I didn't think I'd enjoy as much as I did was the, the Batman 2022 annual featuring Batman Incorporated and Ghostmaker, which almost tipped it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we close upon the finale of Marvel's frankly fantastic run with the character there was no other choice uh, but for king conan number five uh, by series mavens jason aaron and mamrud azrar i mean these guys i think can rest very easy knowing that they've added to the mythos of a long respected character and property in an exceedingly positive way um and that's that's not a bad way to 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 ease towards your your going out um the issue this week uh which is the penultimate issue i believe uh, changes the spotlight a wee bit and puts it on the villain and and long running Conan villain uh, Thoth Amon the, the the sorcerer uh, and it, it puts him in a spotlight a wee bit uh, you know adding you, you know it puts put puts puts him in the spotlight a wee bit he's the he's the the the, the wizardly the sorcerly antagonist of, of of Conan and has been through a lot of the series but it, it does so in a way that only strengthens the already fairly strong um, central conflict of the series. Uh, and it's not, I don't think it's another example of an attempt to like make a villain, you know, more relatable or paint them as misunderstood because the Thothamon that we see here is absolutely bad to the bone, evil to the core. And the backstory does absolutely nothing to, to, to disavow you that notion. Um, in fact, we learn just how far this absolute par mad driven crazy by magic black wizard is willing to go to secure that par and uh, how the difficulties of his childhood 
only serve to make the choices that he makes now even easier. Um, for all that, Conan does appear in the issue, but his presence is kind of a cameo and almost like a setup for next issue. Uh, it still works. It's still very meaningful because it definitely pushes the story forward by you know taking the fight to Princess Prima on the on the cursed island and giving Thothamon a taste of what it means to be a bloodthirsty barbarian. Um, and I think that is where Jason Aaron's success in this book as a whole has always laid. It's how he's able to to layer the multiple storylines and, and fill them with with complex drama and, and emotion as well as, as, as action. Um, I think I think this is is very much an issue to sort of bridge the gap between the great Conan versus Conan story that's been told. Uh, and it almost feels like a marshalling of forces but before the final battle, uh, you know, like a, like the calm before the storm uh, and, and what I'm sure is going to be an absolutely fantastic finale. And uh, I don't see how we won't be talking about it <laughs> in, a, in a month's time or so. Uh, but there is still a load of content here. And, you know, the, the Aaron and Azrar partnership uh, is one that's just made in, in, in four-color comic book heaven. And uh, I know you, you'll agree with me that their work over the past few years on Conan has been almost faultless. Um, we're nearing the end of Conan the Barbarian's tenure at Marvel Comics, and we can, I think, take comfort in the fact that the character is going out on a very compelling uh, and very impressive high note that is king conan yeah king conan's been a, a, a great title it's uh it seems to be the way that jason aaron likes to finish off his runs doesn't he, he does king thor with uh his thor run and then of course uh this king conan one which as you say one issue to go again i'm a little bit ahead of you so i have read it and it does end very mm-hmm. very satisfyingly but yeah the, that creative team in general as warren's you know because they, they've been the Conan team, haven't they? So it's been Aaron and Azrar, whereas Thor was Aaron and Ribich. Uh, he said mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. He, he definitely sets up these great creator uh, duos. And Mamad Azrar is actually coming across the DC to do a title with Mark Wade, Batman versus Robin. So mm-hmm. you just know that's going to be glorious looking yep. as well. So, But yeah, what's great about the, the Conan series for me, people often accuse Marvel of you know maybe not being as dark as DC or whatever. Maybe it's just a case of they're not as relentlessly dark, but when they do dark series, they they don't hold anything back. You know, this <laughs> has been don't. a violent, violent title. It's got dark concepts. It's uh, but but really interesting concepts about legacy and about succession and you know about boredom once you've reached the top. You know, there's you know, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. Alexander saw the breath of his domain, as I always say, you know, he wept for there no more worlds left to conquer. It's just it's yeah. a great, great book. And yeah, I'm excited for you to read issue six because I've no doubt we'll be talking yeah. about it. Can't wait. It's just been it's just been a just a stellar a stellar run. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole the whole thing. And this is a this is a lovely a lovely crown on it, shall we say? Well again I, I have to go back and thank both yourself and Mr. McCants for getting me into the Jason Iron Thor run when it was when it was but a twinkle in my eye and uh yeah I've, I've enjoyed every second of it up to now so it is a shame that it's leaving Marvel I mean 
it, it, it never felt like a Marvel title, like it had to be a Marvel title, but what they've done with it, they've treated it with tons of respect, great creative teams, and uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what the future holds for Conan and comics, but mm-hmm. they've got a they've got a heck of a run to, to follow up anyway with this. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and loaning it, licensing it to Marvel, they have done nothing but increase the power of that license and the uh, the, the attractiveness of that, that property. Um, I mean, there's so many stories in Aaron's run and uh Jerry Duggan was was on yeah, Savage Sword, Sword. Savage Sword yeah. you know with that that cast back to Robert E. Howard Conan stories or or extended on from them or retold them you know or, or took elements from them and expanded them you know uh so they've they've really this is one property that they've they've treated so well and so successfully um you know and that's aside from you know, the, I'm not necessarily as big a fan of Conan in the modern Marvel era, mm-hmm. you know, as it would be of of, of the, the Conan the Barbarian or the Savage sort of Conan or the King Conan stuff. So, Yeah, and then, of course, Jim Zub took over from Jason Aaron on the main title and mm-hmm. continued That's to right. knock it out of the park as well. So, yeah, no, if, if you've never read the, the Conan stuff, certainly the recent stuff, I can't speak for the older the older Marvel stuff. I'm, I've never really read through that, but... If you want to give the newer stuff a go, it is yeah, it's well worth your time. Fantastic storytelling, and that is being rounded <laughs> off in King Kona. And I wonder, I wonder, in forty years from now, will we be uh, looking at uh, Conan circling back to Marvel again? <laughs> Probably give this. It... Do you remember the Kona from forty years ago? <laughs> oh, give it five or six years, it'll be back at Marvel. Let's be honest. <laughs> I would say so. So yeah, so that'll round off the uh the picks of the week then for first of June. So King Conan number five for Keith, and then the closet number one for myself. So that is going to do it for us this week as we rattle towards our two hundredth episode, which is quite the uh quite the output I have to say over the years. Mm, very yes, absolutely. That's that's quite something, and uh, we do have a little something up our sleeves for it that we most certainly do and uh, i'm very much looking forward to a recording what that will be and b then certainly releasing it uh with you to sharing it with you all so uh but in the meantime we'll we'll still have our review shows our preview shows and uh we'll transfer out some more creator interviews and bits and pieces along the way we may even welcome back some uh some podcast stalwarts from uh from yielden times you never know <laughs> days gone by exactly so but as ever it was great to have you on again my friend nice to just not be talking into a microphone on my own yes pleasure to be back sorry i left you i left you on your lonesome for uh, for so long um and uh, we'll uh, we'll get back to uh, some regularly scheduled reviews as soon as i get caught up in my in my, my reading but uh, yeah as i say absolutely weird seeing seeing a podcast come out and uh, and not been on it you know but uh, a couple of good uh, say a good good previews episode um i got in to see the previews book the other day and there's some good stuff in there the stuff that i wrote down and added to my pull list is much the same as what's on the the board actually the previews board and and obviously your your interview was great as well yeah that was that was a fun one melissa flores definitely go back and give that a listen to guys for upcoming title called the dead lucky which is part of the massive verse that radiant black and rogue son have set up so well so but yeah that's going to do it for us both we are both out of here to not go and read comics but to go and watch miss marvel so uh i look forward to seeing all of you in the store at some point of the coming weeks and uh a pleasure as always chatting to you mr miller and we will be back at it soon Indeed, and in the meantime, try not to end up on an accursed island with your uh, sorcerer's nemesis. Indeed, unless you've read issue six and know what happens. Ooh. (laughs) Cheers for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye.
So I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm Ascanison00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.